with insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world. Welcome to the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. And now, your Jewish Patriot, Cindy Gross. Welcome to the Jewess Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross, today's premier Jewish woman activist. I am a proud patriot, American Jew. I am a Zionist, and I believe in the Judeo-Christian values that so many of us believe in. And I am America first because I believe we have no choice but to make America great again. Come with me into my opening segment as we talk my opening pearls of wisdom, because I am Zisa Peril, that means sweet pearl. But this week, I am anything but sweet. I am angry, and so are you. As a Jew, and as a proud Zionist, and as somebody who understands the importance of Israel as the most important ally in the Middle East for Americans here and abroad, I am really disgusted with what is going on around the world and such lack of media attention about it. I am talking about the attacks on Israel and how this is happening today. And you know who we have to blame? The Biden administration. And do you wanna know why? Because the Biden administration is weak. It doesn't matter that his secretary of state is Jewish. It doesn't matter that his vice president is married to a Jew. Because like rhinos, they are gynos. Jews by name only because they were born Jewish. These are the people that are supporting the Iran nuclear deal. And these are the people that sit silent as Nancy Pelosi challenged the president. And whether you agree or disagree with the trip, only time will tell because if there is a war in the Far East, we are a lot to blame for it. And it'll be another disaster like Afghanistan and like the Ukraine-Russian situation. All of our enemies are seeing us as weak. And you know who they're gonna target? Little tiny Israel. Why? Because little tiny Israel now has more enemies in the American government than ever before. Think about it. About a year ago, Democrats, eight Democrats, and one Republican, Thomas Massey, voted against supporting Israel's Iron Dome. And two, AOC and Johnson, just marked themselves present and didn't vote. Why would they want to support terrorists in Israel? What does it help the American government? You know, there's this big misconception that Israel gets all these things from the American government. Do you know what the American government gets from Israel? They get money. Nothing comes for free. They also get the advances in technology and medicine. You know who else gets those technology and medicine and irrigation and education advances? 
people in Russia, people in China, people in India, people in Africa. I myself was at the United Nations when Israel started an irrigation project with countries that are struggling in Africa. But you know what? You don't hear about these things. And you know what else you don't hear enough about? All the kings and royalty in the Arab nations that hate Israel publicly, that go to Israel when they need medical help. They use the technology on their iPhones, their ways. They use everything they can in Israel. And let's be realistic. Israel is the only country where Arabs can walk freely, have a job, women can drive, women can actually speak up. And you know what? Go to an Arab country and see how Jews live. So I am really, really angry that even quote unquote, the right wing news isn't really talking enough about this. Not talking enough the weakness of the Biden administration. Because let me tell you something, social media and the mainstream media are in it to make sure that Republicans do not win the House, do not win the Senate, do not win the governorships that they're up for, and local and state elections this November. They're busy talking about 80 cents lowered on gas. But they're not talking about where gas will go in the next month or two based on the new laws that they voted on. They're not talking enough about how many enemies we have now because of a weak Biden administration. You know who's getting hurt the most? Our children. Because they're about to go to school. And their schools are the same war zones that we see around the world. Nobody feels safe, nobody feels happy, nobody feels proud. What are we gonna do about it? The first thing we should do is treat our best allies like family. We don't always have to agree 100% with everything, but in the end, we give a hug, we forgive and we move on when we have a disagreement. We don't have to agree on everything. You don't agree with your spouse, your siblings, your parents, your neighbors, but you find a way to get through it and move past. We can't get moving, I'm sorry, we can't get moving past until we recognize what's going on. And we need strong Democrats, independents, Republicans, libertarians, even progressives to say it's time that we put politics aside and really worry about America's future. And that starts with supporting our allies. And our number, number one ally in the Middle East is Israel. I am so emotional about this. This upsets me terribly. And what's even worse is that we're not hearing enough about it. Enough fact about it. We're not even hearing opinion about it. It's just being ignored. I said five years ago when I gave a speech 
about the Iran nuclear deal and how it was bad for America. We are living in pre-Holocaust times. And some people told me I was wrong. I'm suggesting everybody go back and look at the 1920s of Europe and think about how the 1920s were in America and what happened in the 1930s and how we ignored what was going on in Europe. We didn't do much to save 6 million and we're certainly looking at a world where people have a lot of nuclear power and more than 6 million would die. We'll be back after this commercial. Stand up, Texas. There comes a time in one's life where you have to take a stand for what you believe in. To stand for what you know in your heart is right. For yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren. As Texans, we are in a fight for our independence and the promise of freedom that Texas was built upon. And it's that very freedom that is being stripped away from us right now. As brothers, sisters, business owners, employees, students, we are all in this fight together. It's time to take a stand, Texas. We are an organization of nearly 400,000 Texans. We're pushing for Texit and our freedom, our independence. Join us. Let's stand together. Visit texitnow.org. That's texitnow.org. Paid for by the Texas Nationalist Movement. Welcome back to the Jewess Patriot. Joining us now is Dr. Trey Penny, and you know him, you see him all the time on Hannity, and you recently uh, had the privilege of watching him testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee about law enforcement. And I wanna ask him a couple of questions that I'm sure are on your minds with everything going on with high crime everywhere, why isn't there any more, you know, much more respect for law enforcement? And why are we still having this war with law enforcement that we shouldn't have? So when I had the opportunity to reach out to him, he was so kind and said, I want to talk to you about this. But I also want to talk to you being the Jewish patriot about my love for Israel and the Jewish people. So here he is. Thank you so much for joining the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's a real honor to have you. I saw the testimony that you gave uh, in Washington. And tell us a little bit about it, uh, about how it came about and about why you are becoming such a strong advocate for police. Yeah, I mean, well, I've been a police officer for 22 years in Dallas Police. I mean, I was an advocate for law enforcement for a long time. Uh, a lot of my friends died in the line of duty. And um, that that's really what, what like, pressed me in the spotlight. I mean, after the, the uh, July 7, 2016 shooting attack in Dallas, Texas, where uh, a, a radical Black Lives Matter supporter came in and shot and, and, and ambushed uh, five police officers. I mean, shot several people, but killed five police officers. And uh, four of them were, were good friends of mine. And um, uh, unfortunately, you know, I was the officer that was responsible for the relief effort for those families. And, you know, I was there at every step of the way. I was there when these officers were uh, being wheeled into the into the hospital, and you know, I saw him when you know, like I said, that's that's just something that no community, no law enforcement community, no family should ever have to deal with. Um, and I hope 
to God that we never, that we find a way to uh, bring it to an end, that we never have to deal with it again. Uh, but ultimately, being an advocate for law enforcement and trying to bring attention to the issues that are impacting police as a whole, um, you know, look, I, I've been, you know, lobbying Congress as a whole and, and you know, our local, our state, um, you know, legislative bodies to, like, do things to, to make, uh, to, to lessen the burden on police officers. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, the, you know, Congress, because of the things that I was doing in D.C., uh, they knew me. They knew my position, and and uh, they asked me if I could come in and talk about uh, this this connection that everyone was was unaware um, as it relates to social media influence, social media radicalization, how uh, groups were being radicalized online to incite violence against police. And uh, what I did was I, I took the I took the offer. Um, I was there with uh, you know chief of police from Chicago, chief of police from Boston, uh, the ICP leaders. Um, and, and you know, like I said, it was it was a it was a great hearing. I mean, it was an opportunity to get things off of uh, to get everything out there and, and really let America know. And uh, unfortunately, you know, you had people in the hearing that wanted to make it about gun control, but I, you know, I wanted to bring real issues to the table. Like, look, guys, you know, this is not the, you know, we can't waste this opportunity to not get on record what has been happening to us uh, over the last seven eight years, right? We can't. We can't forget the fact that we actually lost officers due to these radicalized riots and and cities being torn apart. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I brought it back into my wheelhouse and I, and I addressed those issues and and um, you know, you know, and now we're working on key legislative uh, policy to change some some issues for law enforcement. So I thank God for it. Well, I have to just point out a couple of things you said. First of all, you pointed out a lot of blue city. Uh, police chiefs were there with you, and also the fact, I mean, you're talking about um, crime against law enforcement, and you brought up Black Lives Matter, and it's no secret that politics and politicians who have personal agendas are looking to uh, use Black and also the idea of Republican and gun control as political issues, rather than the issues that you are fighting for in law enforcement. How do you deal with that as you, as a Black voice in law enforcement, and I'm sure you ask this all the time, about what are the real issues and not the ones that the politics and the lobbyists want to push? Yeah, you, you know something, though, Cindy, let me first back up and say, uh, look, I come from the Black community. You know, I'm from the inner city, grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, I grew up during a time when, when you know, police didn't come in our community. We didn't want them there. You know, this was, uh, you want to talk about police, uh, anti-police environment. That's the environment I grew up in. Uh, the, the, the black nationalists at the time were, like I said, anti-police, anti-government. I mean, they were really, they were a strong force in our community. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't fall into the trap with the nonsense. Uh, but they were, they were powerful. I can't lie and say that they wasn't, you know, they wasn't influential. They were. Uh, they spoke well. Look, we were in the hood. They talked about, uh, you know, how the, the system was bringing us down. The system is why the police are why uh, we have no problem. That's why, you know, everyone's being killed. And, and look, in this at the time I grew up, the murder rate of my community was as high as that in L.A. And L.A. had criminal gangs. They had Crips and Bloods. So that showed you the level of violence that we were dealing with with our community. But we didn't want the police. And I say that everyone's an advocate until they become a victim. And it took that. For me, at the age of 16, I witnessed my cousin get killed in front of me the day before her wedding day. And you know what? What, what, what that did was 
it, 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 all these protests and nonsense that the black nationals were doing in, in previous times, waiting on the police to do something. Look, what nobody protesting when Jackie got killed. Nobody came out to, you know, none of that happened. You know, it was like a just just another thing. And, and I just wanted people to know, man, this was, you know, that was a real life. That's some that was somebody that was real to me, you know, and and and, and that was it for me. You know, like I said, at, at 17, I was like, I'm out. You know, I'm I, I did the most controversial thing anybody could have done in the hood at the time. That was joining the United States Army. You know, I thank God every day for the United States Army because it got me out. You know, my worldview changed. And, and obviously, the most impactful time of my life, um, uh, the worst time of my life, just happened to be the most impactful time of my life because um, the officers on that day that didn't look like me was the catalyst that made me want to say that I want to go into law enforcement. And I used that. I mapped it out through the military and mapped out my way into the Dallas Police Department. That was my first job. And, and when I got there, you know, I, look, I I wanted to work in, in South Oak Cliff. I wanted to work in, in the hood. I wanted to work where the issues were because I knew that there was a place for somebody like me. I knew that I could touch the community. And, and just, just real quick, I don't want to go too far, but I want to give you just a real quick issue of, of, of how bad it was. There was a an apartment complex, really bad apartment complex. A lot of shootings, police would go in there and they would, uh, they would they would hurl bottles at police, and and we were told not to go into this community, right? And but I, who I was, like, look, we police, we just kind of don't follow the rules sometimes, you know. I get it, but one day I was driving by the apartment complex, you know, I'm just just gonna drive by and keep going, and I saw a kid sitting on the corner, you know, sitting on the on the on the uh, like like the, the curb, you know, with his head down, and something in me said, I got to go talk to this baby. I got to go see what's going on. So I pull into the apartment complex and I get out. Hey, little man, what's going on? Man? Everything all right? And he look up at me and he said, I'm just tired. And put his head back down. I'm like, man, what, you know, what's wrong, man? What you tired of? And then he looked back and he said, I'm tired. You know, I'm tired of, uh, of running behind my friends. They got bikes and I don't have one. And I looked up and I see his friends riding off on their bikes. And I thought about it. I said, okay, hold on, little man. So I jumped in my squad car. I drove down the road. We had a toilet rush. It was about, about, a, about a quarter mile away. I drove down there as fast as I could, you know, grabbed, ran in, grabbed me a bike and threw it in the back of the squad car. And I came back. You know, the kid was still sitting there. And, and man, you know, I gave the little dude that bike. I saw his, his eyes light up and he jumped on his bike and he, and he took off to catch up with his friends, you know. And I think about that. I say, you know, this, this is you know, this kid represents this community. This kid represents these same people that are sitting on the sideline and are watching everything, everybody else fly past them and they're not doing anything about it. But me having an opportunity to engage this kid and lo and behold, that same kid became my advocate in that community. We broke down so many barriers just through that, that experience because he would say, hey, this is my friend, Sergeant Penny. And that's what I want people to understand about this relationship, relationship between the police and community. It's real if you're willing to engage it. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's what we don't hear. We don't hear those stories. And we don't even hear it in, you know what? In the Black community, we should be hearing this. Uh, because, we don't. You know, this is so important. But it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. It doesn't sell in the black community. That's a narrative that's you know. It, it's easy to think about this. If I'm miserable and I can sell you more misery, and it, it, it's good for business. How you think people like Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan? How you think they? It, it's good for business. That's they. That's they wheelhouse, right? 
So if, if somebody like me, I come in and, and look, I, I take I go into mo in the most uncomfortable positions, right? I'm because I am who I am. I I'm not afraid to go in, in anybody's hood. I'm not afraid of anybody's community. It, it don't matter what room I'm in. And just imagine the duality of that, right? This same kid that came out of the hood, that came out of that came from nothing, is the same person that walk into the room in, in, in the White House with nobody in here that I know, and I could go and take control of that room. Man, that's God. Man, that's God telling you there's something in you that you can that where you can bring worlds together. You can mix things. And that's what I'm here to do. A lot of people don't care about that. Those guys care about their own personal agendas. And I will say this, you know, it, just, just to fast forward into this whole Black Lives Matter, Black, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, Matter narrative, that narrative, there was never anything positive about that narrative. That narrative was, was taken directly from the Black Nationalist playbook. That narrative was anti-Semitic. It was racist. It was anti-government. It had uh, anarchical uh, beliefs. There was nothing in it positive. But what they were doing, they were they were masters of media. They understood how to turn stories around and make people believe, make you think that you're wrong for thinking saying that they were wrong. And they're going to do it through the 2022 elections, and they're going to do it through the White House in 2024. But you brought up something about anti-Semitism and you have been an extremely outspoken person about the black Jewish relationship and fighting the anti-Semitism that the extreme left Black Lives Matter groups wants to spread within the minority communities. And tell us a little bit about it because you we are running out of time but it is so important. And I know you just went to Israel, so tell us about it. Yeah, no, look, there's a long history between the black the, the black community and the, the Jewish community. A lot of people don't even realize that we would even have Martin Luther King, but for the Jewish community that supported them, right? We the NAACP was started by uh, a, a Jewish uh, a Jewish uh, supporter. Uh, you know, we had the you know Freedom Summer where uh, uh, they were trying to organize voting rights in in the um, you know, in the South where uh, you had two Jewish, three, actually three young men killed, but two of them were, were, were Jewish, Jewish young men that were workers trying to organize people to vote. Uh, Martin Luther King marched across the Selma Bridge with um, Rabbi Abraham Herschel's. You know, th these are real situations that history has tried to rewrite and take the Jewish connection out of it. And for me, like I told you, I grew up in this community with nothing but black nationalists. And I, and I, and I say the, the, the one catalyst or the one thing that kept me away from all that was my grandmother. My grandmother was a strong Southern Baptist and they strong Baptists believe. Now, you can you can say it's cliche and you say it's not. But the strong Southern Baptists believe this, that Jews were God chosen people. And she would never allow that type of nonsense into her house. And that was something that was embedded in me. So when I got older, what I wanted to do was find out who were these Jewish people? Who are the people that, that created these opportunities for the black community? And you know what? That, that, that connection has been lifelong. I took it on my own this, this past year, actually in March of this year, to, to travel to Israel. And I went, on, went there on a political, religious, and a cultural mission. I had an opportunity to see just the, the, the world, the world in, in its in its in its purity in itself. You have all these different religions. I mean, it's, it's not what you hear uh, or what you think about Israel being, right? The, the chaos that you see. Yes, that stuff is there, but you know what? The reality is it was beautiful. 
It was beautiful. I'm talking about the, the best roads, the best architecture. The, you know, you have multiple uh, uh, cultures together, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people. Man, I never thought in a million years I see all these cultures in Israel. Can you believe that? And it was there. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been there. But it, <laughs> but it was amazing to me. It was a world, it was a it was a whirlwind, it was a shocker. But I thank God for it because I was able to see, I was able to physically see it with my own eyes, you know, Jews, Muslims, Catholics, Christians, everybody here, everyone, everyone respecting each other's sights. I mean, it was just it was just so amazing, Cindy. And I, I encourage anybody, I encourage any viewer that's here. You know, that, that want to expand your worldview, you got to go to Israel. You have to see it. Beautiful country. I love the people, everything about it. What was your favorite uh, part of Israel? What was like the site you have to go back to see? Well, that would be that. For me, it was the Garden Tomb. Um, I, I think that was probably the most surreal experience for me to go. Uh, this this is where Jesus, what Jesus' body was prepared and, and where he was, um, you know, my oh man, man, I, yeah, I get I get cringes just even thinking about it because uh, it, it's just it, you know a lot of a lot of it um, like context. I like I didn't understand. Like I was saying, okay, you know, there, there's this this part in uh, in the Bible where we talk about you know Jesus has risen, uh, but I don't under, you know I didn't understand. Like okay, why didn't you know? Okay, what? How do we know somebody just didn't go and and take them out or whatever, right? But with, then they kind of show you the context, right? There's these big old boulders that are pushed in front of where one person can't just can't just move that boulder out the way. Like it has to be some kind of, you know, astronomical force to allow that to happen. Anyway, for me, uh, as a Christian, I mean, it was it was just, it was powerful for me. Uh, and I would say this, the second uh, most influential uh, part of would probably be, uh, probably be the, um, the, the Holocaust Museum. I, I think, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, you want to talk about, you want to talk about architecture and, and the, you know, the mystique of that. I mean, it was beautiful just to, oh my God. And like I said, America just had, you, you have to see it. Um, you have to experience life from, from that side. Like you have to see everything that the Jewish community went through in order to appreciate where Jews are today. I mean, you got to, man, I mean, you do want to talk about a culture that has been demoralized and broken all the way down to its, its lowest point and then to be able to come back, come up out of the ruins to be a strong, a strong people. Oh, man, it, it, it's a powerful story and you just got to appreciate it. Well, we can talk for you, with you for hours. You are so uh, informative and entertaining at the same time. <laughs> And you are so passionate about what you believe in, which is what America believes in, freedom of speech, the freedom to be, uh, bear arms and to protect yourself, respect for law enforcement, and being a part of local, you said at the beginning, local, state, and national politics starts with people like you speaking up and taking action and just Buying a bicycle, making a difference. I bet that boy remembers until this day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, where can our audience reach out to you? Look, right now, I'm, I'm still working on pulling, uh, pulling the, the, the original page back up, but people can find me at, at nationalf.org. Um, I'm on there, y'all. Look, I'm sorry to pin everyone knows who I am. Uh, my direct number is on the is on the uh, the website itself. 
Uh, but look, I, I look forward to engaging people. Look, if you want to invite me out to come to something, I, I look forward to coming and, and engaging the people because ultimately these networks are, are, are what we're going to be able to use to uh, bridge the gap between the police and the community. Well, thank you so much for joining the Jewess Patriot, and we look forward to having you back very soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to meet you. Here's what Robert Cornicelli has to say about himself. I'm not going down there to get power, to get influence, to benefit. What separates us, I think, is I talk about the things I did on the outside where there was zero personal gain, and we are worlds apart in that area. Here's what's being said about Cornicelli by the men who served under him. Compulsive liar. Compulsive liar. Compulsive liar. Robert Cornicelli is not the man with integrity he says he is to represent New York's 2nd District in Congress. In the event that Captain Cornicelli was successful, how do you think he would be as a New York uh, representative in Congress? As a, as a person in Congress or a person in office, even as a mayor or a councilman, whatever position it is in the politics, um, he would sell a story to just to get votes and likes and handshakes, but in the same breath, lie and um, turn, your, turn his back on them. Robert Cornicelli is not the man with integrity he says he is to represent New York's 2nd District in Congress, but Mike Rakebrandt is. Mike Rakebrandt earned his integrity in the United States Navy, where he was wounded in action in the Middle East. When he got home, he chose to serve again with integrity as a New York City detective. Mike Rakebrandt is the only one with the integrity you can trust to represent New York's 2nd District in the Republican primary on August 23rd. Vote for Mike Rakebrandt in New York's 2nd Congressional District Republican primary August 23rd. Mike Rakebrandt will serve with the honor we all deserve. For more information about Mike Rakebrandt and how he'll serve you with honor in Congress, visit MikeRakebrandtForCongress.com. That's MikeRakebrandtForCongress.com. Paid for by Mike Rakebrandt for Congress. Had enough yet? Do facts no longer matter? Are lies to be encouraged instead of punished? This is not our inheritance. If truth no longer matters, we will not remain free for long. This is our generation's challenge, to defend our founders' hope that we the people could self-govern if we defend our right to get the facts. And right now, we're building the only defense a free people have, the facts, on every politician, every position they held, every statement they've made, every vote they've made, and any cash they've taken. It's the real history on those now pandering for your vote. There are hundreds of young people building our defense right now, and they need your help. We all have our passions, but as our ancestors knew, when events become so foul they threaten us all, we must stand and defend each other. Please, have our backs. Join us at votesmart.org. Welcome back to the Jewess Patriot. Joining us now is a friend to the show. He's been here before. He's always been there for me in person and through all the various outlets we've been on. Boris Epstein, and you know him as a special advisor to 45. And you know him as a true American patriot. 
And I want to pick his brain a little bit because I have a question that I ask all the time that I can't seem to get the answer. And maybe he can answer it for me. You know, I wonder, I never remember whether or not it was Hollywood or a former president or whatever kind of public figure where somebody actually is in the brain of everybody and talked about more than Donald Trump. Those that love him, live, breathe, and die him, wear everything Trump, talk everything Trump, defend him to the max, and those who hate him, talk about him to the max. Explain the synopsis to me because it makes me like question everything, what's going on. What does this man have that nobody else has? Well, Cindy, thanks so much for having me. Really an honor to be with you. You know, for those of us who are honored to support President Trump for the tens and tens, I think over 100 million of Americans who support President Trump, you know, he brings authenticity. He brings strength. He calls it like it is. He, he speaks honestly and directly about what's wrong with this country and about how we make it great again. And then to the haters, well, that's Trump derangement syndrome, Cindy. We all know it's there. We all, we all know they have it. They're absolutely obsessed. They can't, you know, they can't get over over President Trump, and you know, maybe deep inside, they can't wait for him, as we hope and expect to run again and and be president again, instead of this feckless, sad excuse for an illegitimate president, the illegitimate leader, uh, Joe Biden. Well, uh, there are so many candidates running as America First patriots, so many new people because they're tired of the rhinos, and I'm sure you see this all the time. So tell us what are some of the uh, your thoughts on November elections and maybe some of the people we should be looking at for the new leadership that hopefully will win their various seats wherever they are. No doubt about it. I mean, you've got Blake Masters running for the Senate in uh, in Arizona. That primary is on August 2nd. You've got Eric Greitens uh, August 2nd in, in, uh, in Missouri. We've got Katie Brett. She just won in Alabama. She's going to be in her, in, in, in the next senator from Alabama. Uh, you know, she just won a tough primary. You got Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, J.D. Vance in Ohio. I mean, there are so many exciting, smart, tough MAGA candidates. Look, I mean, look at uh, you, you know, look, look at Mr. Cox in uh, in Dan Cox in Maryland. I mean, this is a MAGA candidate endorsed by President Trump. Came, came out of nowhere to beat the Rhino endorsed uh, Kelly Schultz. So you, all across the country, Darren Bailey in Illinois, all across the country, we've got our candidates, our people who are fighting hard, who are standing strong, and who, are, who all should be watched going into November and beyond. Well, I am so glad you brought up Arizona because we're going to make history in Arizona with an Israeli-American running for office and winning. And she's running for the superintendent of public education. She's great. Yeah, superintendent of public instruction. She's great. Uh, we've, uh, you know, she's been on Steve Bannon's show. Actually, when I guest hosted last week, we had her on. She's smart. She's tough. She gets to the point. So, you're very excited about her prospects. So, I mean, when people tell us that uh, Jewish people are not coming to the Republican Party, I'm telling them that's simply not true. I'm sure you work with a record number of Jews who are actually running for office. No doubt about it. I mean, President Trump got more Jewish voters than any Republican uh, candidate in history in 2020. He, he actually got more Jewish voters by a mile than Ron DeSantis did. You know, Ron DeSantis in 2018 got 35 percent in Florida. President Trump got 42 percent in Florida in 2020. So President Trump uh, has brought over a huge fact, a, a huge swath of the Jewish vote. It's very exciting. And, uh, uh, it, you know, another another absolutely undoubtedly strong 
factor as to why MAGA is ascendant. You've got Hispanic American voters. There's outlets like Americano Media that are doing great. Hispanic, Hispanic American, African American, Jewish American, Asian American. All, you know, all of these ethnic groups are coming over to MAGA because that's where the strength is. That's who fights for America. That's who fights for American, American dominance domestically and around the world. I'll tell you, I don't know one person, Democrat or Republican, and I'm in New York, that is watching any of the nonsense on sure. January 6th. Do you know? Does anybody care about it in your mind? No, it's a complete distraction. It's a charade, right? There's not, a, there's no minority council. There's no proper organization. The whole thing's, the whole thing's a total joke. That's, I think that's absolutely clear as day. And people, people, we need to focus on what's wrong with our country, how we fix it from crime to the disaster of the southern border, to the lack of baby formula in the stores. I mean, we're in a tough, tough place in this country, and we shouldn't be distracted by kangaroo courts. What kind of message are you giving to people? Because you are so seeked out for advice and uh, support and leadership. What are you telling people about November elections? I'm telling candidates to, to continue coming in hot, to be with MAGA, to put America first to talk about the economy, to talk about foreign policy, talk about the issues and how we differentiate ourselves from the weakness, you know, the anti-CRT, making sure we protect women's sports, how we differentiate ourselves on the issues from these feckless, radical, woke liberals. And I, and I think that's effective. And in terms of the voters, we've got to elect those MAGA candidates because that's who's going to push back on the radical agenda, you know, starting in January of 23 and building up to, again, as we hope and expect President Trump becoming the 47th president of the United States. So you think he's going to run? Well, you're not going to say anything. I anyway. hope and expect. I hope and expect that he runs. I can't say you won't say anything more than that. But I will tell you that if, the, if President Trump were to run, he would absolutely dominate the primary, and I think he would win the general going away because the contrast is so clear from the from the strength of his four years to the terrible weakness we're seeing now. You're seeing it in the polling. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about uh, you, you talk, you brought up something that a lot of people aren't even bringing up this whole issue of gender with sports. It has become right. impossible. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about the party that supports women and honors women, it's certainly not the Democrats. No, absolutely not. I mean, what happened to Title IX? What happened to the women's movement? You know, now it's you know, you've got a guy on the on the women's swim team in Upenny. I'm sorry I said it. That's a dude, okay? And he, you know, he's winning all kinds of records and then the pronouns. The it's just it's it's nonsense. And the American people aren't buying it. They're they're, they're not supporting it. And you've that's why you have folks who've been in the middle in the past and folks who've been liberal in the past coming over to MAGA because they cannot stand what's happening with our country. Well, we're both Jewish, and it's a big issue for both of us in fighting anti-Semitism. Yes. And we were both together at the White House when President Trump signed the Combat Anti-Semitism Executive Order. He had no problem doing that and supporting uh, everybody who wanted to fight the hate with Jews and with every other minority group. And we see such a big rise in anti-Semitism. What do you say to people when they talk about anti-Semitism? as a leader in the Jewish community and an outspoken voice. We've got to fight it everywhere. We've got to combat it everywhere, just like President Trump did, on campus, in the workplace, wherever it rears its ugly, ugly head. We also have to make it clear that we're calling it out when it's when it's being promulgated in Congress by the likes of Alana Maher, Rashida Tlaib, and others. You know, I've said this for a long time now, back when I was, you know, the, the head, the co-chair of the Jewish Coalition of Jewish Voices for Trump. It's 
you know, it's, it's sad to say, but it's true that both the far left and the far right have anti-Semites, and it's despicable and disgusting. But the far left elects theirs to Congress and keeps them there, right? So it, it, we've got to keep the pressure on. We've got to make sure that we're, that we're calling it out. I mean, even you know, Jim Clyburn has has minimized the Holocaust as compared to you know, a lot of Omar's life experiences. So we've got to keep we've got to keep a loud voice. Uh, on fighting anti-Semitism, and again, you know, MAGA is, is, is the is the move, movement of inclusivity, right? You, it's the far left liberals who are saying that Israel is wrongfully, disgustingly saying Israel is an, is an apartheid state, attacking the state of Israel, and anti-Zionism is absolutely anti-Semitism. There's no doubt that anti-Zionism is also anti-Semitism. So I know you were uh, one of the opening speakers at several of the rallies. There's a lot more rallies planned. Are you going to be a part of any of the future rallies? Well, it's always an honor to speak at the rallies. They're a blast. President Trump has by far the largest reach of any political figure in American history. His endorsements are the most powerful in American history. And you're going to continue to see that. And there's a lot of excitement coming up. And we're all, uh, you know, we're all so enthusiastic about the relationship between President Trump and his movement that's growing faster and faster. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Before thank we you. leave... Tell us where we, uh, our listeners, our viewers can reach out to you and find you. Cindy, thanks so much. Boriscp.com is my website. You can sign up right there for my newsletter, boriscp.com. I'm on Getter at Boriscp, on Twitter at Boriscp, Truth Social at Boris, and on Instagram, on the grand Boris underscore Epstein. Thank you so much, Cindy. God bless you and all of your audience. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. You got it. Nike is constantly political. Why? Cover. Congressional reports suspect Nike used forced labor in China. Religious minorities were ripped from their families, sterilized, sold to factories. Nike made shoes in those same areas. Congress tried to ban Nike's labor practices. Nike fought back with highly paid lobbyists. Rather than hiring Americans, Nike chose China. John Donahoe, Nike. Stop exploiting foreign labor. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. So, what has Andrew Garbarino done for you lately? Let's see. Recklessly voted for Joe Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Betrayed fellow Republicans by voting to certify the 2020 election. Oh, and voted to create an independent commission to investigate the July 6th protest. Andrew Garbarino is no Republican, but Mike Rakebrandt is. New York's 2nd District deserves a real Republican to protect them in Washington. Mike Rakebrandt is a real Republican who won't turn his back on the Republican Party. Mike Rakebrandt is a faithful New Yorker, awarded the Purple Heart, protecting your freedoms on the battlefield, and as an NYPD detective, knows how to protect New Yorkers. When you vote for Mike Rakebrandt in the Republican primary, he'll protect your freedoms in Congress to secure our southern border and let ICE do their jobs, ban critical race theory in our schools, and withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. Vote for Mike Reichbrandt on June 28th and return common sense and good stewardship to New York's 2nd District. Mike Reichbrandt won't turn his back on Republicans, and Mike Reichbrandt won't turn his back on you. Learn more about Mike Reichbrandt at MikeRakeBrandtForCongress.com. Again, visit MikeRakeBrandtForCongress.com. Paid for by Mike Rakebrandt for Congress. Welcome back to the show. I can't believe it's almost over. 
But we are going to have our closing segment talk about education because it is August and it is time that many of us start thinking about those September routines, back to work, back to school, new clothes, new supplies. And it's usually a time people are very happy to get back to routines, to start to go to school, to start to socialize with their friends who they see every day for hours. But this year, it's quite different. So I'm going to share with you a recent article I had published in Reactionary Times. Please follow me there. Uh, you can find it on the website and on Twitter and Facebook, Reactionary Times. I write weekly. One of the latest was about education. And are we ready to go back to school this August? As the summer days get minutes shorter and the first days of August roll around and they're happening, students, parents, educators, and the general public are thinking about going back to school. Who doesn't think about all those coupons? I know I do. I look forward to those coupons where everything is cheap and all those promotions and all the new activities that come in the fall along with school schedules and new work schedules. And for us, of course, the Jewish holidays. August used to be melancholy. But like everything else, this August 2022, resolutions for a great school year are marred by the high cost of education, both in dollars and in common sense. School supplies everywhere are up. According to a recent Morning Consult survey, only 36% of over 2,000 parents surveyed in the U.S. feel financially ready for the upcoming school year. While certain stores are recorded record sales, what's not being recorded in the mainstream press is the record sales are because of higher cost, not because of an increase of volume of sales in numbers. And you talk to the average parent and student, many people are making choices regarding school supplies and new clothes, as opposed to some other necessities they need. And that's never any good. And you know what? The government kind of wants you to do that because... The government wants to control your education. And part of that education are supplies and lunches and medical uh, needs and all kinds of extracurricular activities and pre-K babysitting. So if parents don't have enough money, they go to the government for help. Think about it. You know who else is involved in that? The teachers unions. Think about that. They don't want you to have control. They want the control. Nineteen states are having sales tax holidays, and many are saying people are buying less and spending more. Think about that. Nineteen states. August vacations, where a lot of states make a lot of money from tourism, are struggling because people aren't going on vacations. And credit card purchases and borrowing money for these school supplies is up. Up a lot. Think about that. 
So where are the parents winning? They're not winning in the money market, as in buying supplies. Are they winning with all their vocal uh, stance at board meetings? Are they winning at school board elections? Let me tell you what happened in the red area of Long Island, New York, where Republicans do win. Groups like Moms for Liberty and other patriotic groups got parents to volunteer and become first-time school board candidates for their school boards in the spring. And you know what happened? The teachers' union outspent them and threatened teachers that they would lose things with these new school board members. And you know what? Every single potential Republican, conservative person who does believe in school choice, which school choice, we have to say, does include public school. It's not public versus private. Choice means everything, and you have to choose. So a lot of these people with school choice, I'm sorry, do want public schools to be safe and to promote success and self-esteem for students. And they also want their students to take advantage of every opportunity, just like in a private school situation. That's another very big topic. We will talk about it another time. But getting back to August, we saw what happened in Virginia. That was over a year ago. Are we winning? I don't know. In Iowa, there was a lawsuit. An advocacy group called Parents Defending Education filed a lawsuit in Iowa challenging the policy of letting students form gender support plans without parental knowledge or consent. This is Iowa. This is red country. Think about that. Iowa. Merit-oriented schools became lottery schools based on ethnicity all over the country. And standardized testing is so watered down. It's either being eliminated or everybody wins. How does everybody win? Somebody's got to exceed in one area where another person doesn't. You know, I keep hearing people talk about trade schools and getting people trained to work with their hands and to make livings in areas like plumbing and electric and all this infrastructure discussion. But I haven't heard much about trade schools, have you? So we're not winning on that end. New York is a total mess. A state Supreme Court ordered the city's Department of Education to vacate its 38 billion budget. This budget has been going back and forth and comments from the mayor contradicts the teachers unions, contradicts the parents, contradicts the voters, contradicts all the people running for office, contradicts the students and contradicts the press. So nobody knows what's going on in the system except schools still have issues with safety, with success rates, and with what they are teaching in their curriculum. So it's not winning. It's just a bunch of garbage that lawyers are going to make money from. Then there's, of course, the hero for everybody. You know, I laugh when 
my Democratic friends make fun of Ron DeSantis, but they're all leaving blue states to live in Florida. Ron DeSantis initiated multiple steps to single out Florida as a state where teachers can actually teach and students can actually learn and parents could kind of feel secure sending their kids to schools. He actually has legislation about pro-American history lessons in place, separating church and state in schools, and he signed into law legislation prohibiting any talk of gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. And such discussions in high school, if they are not done in a manner that is age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. And you know what's happening to Ron DeSantis for standing up? He's being targeted by all the leftist donors that don't live in his state from Hollywood and, of course, the George Soros money, so that everybody who is a Republican could either lose in 2022 or 2023 local elections and, of course, his reelection for governor. But I have a feeling that's not going to happen because people love living in Florida. And they know what it's like to live in blue states. So those are just some of the facts I did want to share with you with education. There are so many big topics within each of these topics that I am going to be breaking them down and every week doing education for you until we go back to school. And when we go back to school, you're going to be meeting teachers. You're going to be meeting students. You're going to be meeting activists. You're going to be meeting parents. And you're going to be meeting people who are elected officials on local, state, and national uh, levels so that you know what's going on in education. I really suggest to each and every one of you, go to your schools now, go to your local district offices, demand to find out who's teaching, what subjects, what's being used, what trips are being planned, how money is being budgeted, what elected officials are tied to your school, especially legislators, state assembly people, state senators, council people, and who in their offices come regularly to the school? Find out what churches and synagogues and mosques are involved in your school, because many of them have extracurricular programs that they are tied to. Find out who is in the class other parents, other students. And make sure you have phone numbers and contact information. God forbid something should happen that you can reach out to people. And of course, find out who the elected officials are in the district and vote them out if they are supporting all the nonsense that's wasting tax dollars and failing our children. I can't explain tell you that enough. Vote them out from Congress down to town council person, down to the village mayor. They need to go if they are risking your life by teaching your children the wrong things about America. Thanks for watching The Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program, as well as previous ones, available internationally on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and in Israel on Jewish Podcasts. 
See you next time on the Jewish Patriot Show.